Look at them, madame. Have you ever in your entire life seen anything so beautiful? I'm sorry, I don't know anything about stamps. Oh. This is the gentle art of philately, otherwise known as stamp collecting. Here's a pile of stamps carefully culled from swap meets and garage sales. Rupert, what are you thinking of? Oh, I was just thinking of all the years I've wasted collecting stamps. Oh, like stamp collecting. Now, that's all right. That's quite a nice hobby, that. Yes, but it's not enough. Don't you understand? I'm lonely. I'm so terribly lonely. All right, Homer. You beat those stamp Nazis with good old-fashioned American complaining. Oh, if it weren't for you, we'd be at the mercy of weekend philatelists. You know, why didn't you just say stamp collectors? Because I'm tired of dumbing myself down for you. From Spain and two from Japan I got a couple from Israel and Azerbaijan I got a plenty from Poland but none from Sudan Or from Fiji or Uzbekistan Stamp collecting happens when we dream together Live from the furthest back corner of the stamp show next to the men's room And not to be sexist, the women's room is just a few more steps away from that this is the award-winning Stamp Show here today, episode number 308, brought to you by the Southern Nevada Philatelic Research Center, a nonprofit 501c3 corporation for the advancement of philately. This is Cash. This is Mark. Oh, hi, Mark. This is Albert. This is Becca. And today we're talking about selling stamps. And we're talking about you selling stamps yourself, not just walking up to a stamp dealer and uh, saying, how much will you give me this? But first, uh, on eBay on that, I don't know if, uh, Mark, Mark, you sell a lot of stuff on eBay also. I had a person who put in a complaint that they hadn't gotten their stamps yet, and he's in Australia. And Australia right now is terrible for shipping stuff, too, because of COVID and all the lockdown and everything. Anyway, he uh, put in a little complaint with eBay and then just sent me a message saying, you know, where's my item? You know, he wasn't asking for a refund. And then eBay gave him a refund. I wrote him back and said, you're in Australia, mail slow. He wrote back and said, yeah, I know that. And then eBay gave him a refund because he requested the refund. And I couldn't put a tracking on the stamp. I always send stuff without tracking unless it's above a certain amount it's ridiculous to sell a stamp for $2 and then pay $3.45 for tracking. So it doesn't make any economic sense. And this to me is one of the things that eBay has started doing when they went on their managed pay that kind of really upsets me is that there is no um, discussion anymore about, yes, uh, oh, it's lost in the mail. I got another one. How about I send it to you? You know, stuff like that just doesn't happen anymore. Right. Uh, and in fact, even the tracking isn't always a protection for the seller. Um, if you, uh, or as you may know, eBay has introduced uh, the ability to print out a, a, um, a first class tracking number for items valued uh, up to $20. And I recently had a sale of, I don't know, a $9 item. And, um, and I printed it out, uh, you know, the envelope with this tracking number, mailed it. Tracking number showed that it was, that it was uh, going through the mail system. But there wasn't a delivery scan 
and the person um, complained to eBay that they didn't get it. Well, when you have a, a claim that, like that, you can say, well, I, I, I did mail it. Here's the tracking number, and here's the proof that it's been mailed. Uh, and then uh, after a few days, the, he went to eBay and, uh, and requested they adjudicate it, and they gave him his money back. Yep. And further, uh, they disabled the ability to, to do the tracking anymore. So, oh, <laughs> so if you so if he got the if he got it the next day, you wouldn't be able to check to see that he got it the next day. They disabled the tracking. They they disabled the the, the ability to look up the tracking, yeah. you know, after they did the refund. Oh, that that's 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 uncalled for. Right. So, you know, you're it, it's still kind of um, the wild west for for sellers. You're 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 not completely protected. Well, the other thing too is that. And this has been the case forever. We're sellers. We're also buyers. We buy stuff on eBay and stamp shows and everyplace else. But we're sellers. It's an economic decision for us, you know, how we handle it. For the buyer, it's not an economic decision. It's an emotional decision. So they, uh, eBay just inflicts whatever it does. And then we charge appropriately. So if we are losing money, we raise our prices. And so there's a trade-off. The problem is, is that if a person doesn't get their item and they feel slighted, they will stop using eBay and then eBay has lost a customer. So I totally understand that they always side with the customer. Not a problem at all. I would do it the exact same way if I was running eBay. The thing is, is that they don't give you any time anymore to do anything. I mean, the the refunds and everything are so quick now. Yeah, and they don't recognize that the postal service um, delivery sucks. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah. The the delivery standards have relaxed. Um, there are delays without any explanation, and yet eBay uh, doesn't, uh, you know, doesn't make any kind of accommodation for sellers. You know, for something that's beyond their control. Yeah, I, I, this happened, and I covered this on a prior podcast, where a person said, hey, I didn't get my item. Because it's not that they email you and say, hey, I didn't get my item. Generally speaking, there's a little button there, and they click it. And it says, hey, I didn't get my item. And then it automatically becomes an eBay complaint. So it's not like they're sitting there going, oh, I'm going to, you know, I, I'm really angry at this guy. No, they just clicked that button to show that they hadn't gotten the item yet. And there was one where uh, the person said, I hadn't gotten the item. I said, it was mailed. Mail is a little slow. He goes, not a problem. I'll wait. He sent the not a problem. I'll wait. The same day, eBay gave him the refund. And then the next day, he said, I got the item. And then it's like, oh, great, okay. I have to give you my PayPal address. I can't on eBay because they don't want you giving your PayPal address. They want everything to go through there. So, you know, there actually is an an exemption there because I contacted eBay about that particular item, about that particular um, situation. And they say, after you've done a transaction with that person, then you are able to send them your mailing address or a link to your PayPal account. Ooh, I didn't know that. So, but it's only after you, you've done the transaction. 
Mark, the item that was lost, was that sent in, within the United States? Yes, it was just sent to a different state, but it was, but it was definitely uh, uh, sent with eBay's tracking for, the, for an under $20 item, and it did get scans along the way. It just didn't get a delivery scan. And, yep. the, and the customer is claiming he still hasn't received it. Right, and, and maybe they hadn't yet, and it's, it was just delayed. Um, but even if they got it, there's no way of, to, for me to check now. And there's, you know, unless the customer, out of the goodness of their heart, says, oh, okay, I, I got it. I'm going to contact the person to make sure they get paid. Yeah. Well, for me, uh, the last one, and again, I, I know I covered this on a prior podcast, but uh, my son, Sean, who, by the way, is a person who says uh, stamp collecting happens when we dream together in the beginning. Uh, he sold $400 worth of British postage that was here in the United States. And, you know, so it's discount postage. We sold it. And obviously a person in Britain, uh, they paid uh, 80% of face for it. So we mailed it back. Or it's going home to Britain to be used on mail eBay shipping put it through customs and they had the description and everything and the the person ended up getting a bill for 120 pounds which is about $160 to get this $400 of postage stamps from Britain being returned to Britain and he you know he had written me late but it, you know, it said, hey, you know, can you not send this, you know, can you send this unmarked? And I get this all the time. And it's like, no, it's $400. It's so simple for you to say, no, I didn't get it. And then Sean's out 400 bucks. So I sent it with eBay tracking. It ended up being a detriment. I don't like using eBay tracking. I would rather just take the loss then put my customers through these problems. So, Becca, you buy stuff at auction. Yes, I do. Um, last Wednesday, there was a meeting of the Boulder City Stamp Club here, and I bought two items that I really, really liked. One was a 1942 postcard of an American soldier chasing Hitler. Was, was that the one you outbid Scott on? It was. <laughs> Scott's not here today, but yeah, you 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 dusted him. <laughs> and the other one was a souvenir sheet celebrating the 1,000th anniversary of Austria existing as a country. And I did not know this, even though I'm descended from the Habsburg dynasty, which ruled Austria-Hungary for a while. Um, so you're in line for the throne. Oh, many, many times removed, but... <laughs> But it was the souvenir sheet was actually released in 1976, which was the year that I was born. So it was a sentimental value thing. And I was one of only two people that bid for that. But I enjoyed the auction, and I walked home with a lot of things that will add to my collection. How does the auction uh, describe to people how this auction operates? Basically, someone puts items up for bid um sometimes it's the club sometimes it's a member of the club and the president of the club does an auction that starts with the minimum bid and just moves up in increments until someone stops bidding now 
Becca, this is obviously an independent setting because it's just a small group of people. Uh, what kind of strategy do you employ? Like, for example, will you hold up your bid card while uh, giving a cold stare to anybody who's outbidding you? <laughs> I might have done that in Charlotte, <laughs> but no, I don't do that here. <laughs> Yeah, let's talk about bidding strategies in that sort of a situation. See, on eBay, bidding strategies are minimized, but face-to-face, there are bidding strategies that you can do. Well, on eBay, the the strategy there is to um, uh, hide your interest in the item uh, from the other bidders because if an item gets a bid on it, it gets a it, – it's a red flag or not a red flag, but it's a, it's a flag um, for other people to say, hey – you know, somebody's bidding on this. Let me take a look at it. So uh, on eBay, a lot of people use the strategy of sniping, which is to hold off and bid either um, by yourself, you know, yourself or using a, a sniping program to bid in the last few seconds of an auction. Yeah, there were two examples I had. In, uh, one was uh, one of the reasons why it went to hidden bids. They used to show who you, you were bidding against. But the, um, and I forget what, which museum it was, but there was a New York museum, and they never won anything because whenever they would bid on it, somebody would go, oh, my God, this New York museum is bidding on this. I'm going to outbid them because, obviously, if it's a museum item, I want it. And so they found that they were not getting anything. And the second thing, and this, again, was before people had secret identification, was Bill Aminette fantastic collector died a while back very very well missed or very very missed um he would bid on something and as soon as somebody saw that he bid on it they would go well if he wants it then i want it and so it would just be always you would always be outbid because the people knew who you were and would outbid you so now it just shows the first letter, then a bunch of asterisks, and then the last letter. So it's much more difficult to identify who you're bidding against. I've always preferred to use a sniping program, uh, though it occasionally gets you into trouble. Uh, back in 2004, a, uh, a book collector found in a Bible a, uh, five cent, a cover from Hawaii to the United States that had a uh, five-cent U.S. and a five-cent Hawaiian stamp. And they opened the cover for under $100. Well, it turned out that it, so I put a bid on it. I, I only look at things once. So I put a bid on it at the time of what I thought it was worth, which was at that time $2,700. So um, it was, uh, it was uh, a famous author of a book on Hawaii who ended up buying the cover. And then I said, oh, you bought it. Because I, I later on met the consigner who was turned out to be a book dealer that I had not met, but I met him at a subsequent show, and he told me the story. And my my customer said, why did you bid on it? And I said, you didn't tell me you were on it. And so I just, <laughs> I bid the value that I thought it was worth, and so you're buying it for one bid over what I thought the wholesale value was. Yeah. Well, that was, uh, there was a um, auction company that has since went out of business, so I won't mention their name. But they had a bunch of unaddressed first day covers. And you look at it, and it's like, oh, great. But they had a uh, C-18 in it. And so, you know, C-18 is a significant stamp. You could soak it off. So the lot ended up, you know, being worth about three or $400. 
and then it went up to $1,000, and then it went up to $1,500. And it turned out that somebody had looked, and inside of each envelope was a plate block of that stamp. So every single first day cover also came with a plate block. And the person who found it, it was very late in the game, you know, he was the only one who knew, and he told a person next to him that told a person next to them. <laughs> and all of a sudden, you know, he could have had this lot for 400 bucks, and instead he got it for like 2000 And it was still cheap at 2000 but he did pay $1,600 for having a loud mouth. Right. So, Albert, you deal with auctions far more than any of us here at the table. Well, when you talk about auctions, you're talking about the five or six major auction companies in the United States that actually hold public auctions. Uh, oh, hold on. Five or six. Okay, so you got H.R. Harmer, you got Siegel, you have Kelleher. You have Rumsey. Rumsey. Oh, I can't forget Rumsey. No, he, he's a great guy. You have uh, Dutch Country. You have Rasdale. Those are all public auctions. Yeah. I mean, you can think of, I might think of a couple other small ones. Yeah, Matthew Bennett just recently held a sale. Yeah, Bennett is, yeah. There's a lot of companies that have, like, one sale a year, you know, and you have companies that just, that just like Chris Harmer just retired, he had his last sale in January. He was yep. Harmer Shaw. And you also have, uh, uh, you have the Goldbergs. They have a public auction. Oh, yeah. The Goldbergs in Los, are. In Los Angeles. They are, I predict that you're going to see the Goldberg auctions increase dramatically in level as uh, West Coast stamp collecting, you know, doesn't have any auction houses other than Rumsey. There's, uh, um, when you buy an auction, in a public auction, there's usually printed terms of sale on the inside cover that tells you all the terms of sale about uh, um, the terms of payment, the terms of uh, um, can you put a, can you put a lot on extension so you can get it authenticated and what the consequences are whether they'll pay for the certificate if it comes back not as described uh, they'll also talk about uh, um, when they want when they want payment which is of course as soon as possible yeah. <laughs> and also when their settlement date usually is for if you're a consigner um, I've done I've done I've been a purchase buyer and a seller in many many of these auctions um, most of these people are pretty straightforward and uh, and pretty honest. But if you're actually selling something in auction, you ought to consider, first of all, you ought to consider is is the item valuable? Like is it worth at least probably ten five to $10,000 alone as a single item? Otherwise, auction lotting fees will kill you. And the second thing is, is that you might want to, you might want to put it out if it's that valuable. You might want to um, let several auction companies bid on it and describe what kind of what kind of uh, if it's if it's like a hundred thousand dollar collection. You they'll actually people will come out and actually make a bid about. Um, they might adjust the uh, commission rate, and then they uh, might be a little more careful about what they describe. Uh, most auction companies want an average lot lot size of a minimum of around five hundred dollars just to pay the cost of printing. Yeah, that's a bit high. But yeah, yeah. three fifty or four hundred is about as small as they really would like to go. Well, there are several that will go down into the two hundred range. Now that said, though, if you go by just the math, let's say you have a hundred thousand dollar collection, 
and let's make pretend that it's worth $100,000. If you pay zero commission, they say, yeah, you know, I like the cut of your jib there, sir. Uh, no, no charge for you. The buyer is still going to pay a charge. So if it's worth $100,000, they're going to pay 80000 because they have to give twenty to the, you know, slightly more math works out that way. You know, so you are paying whether you are paying or not. So uh, at a certain point, you have to sit there and say, is it worth it for me to sell it directly, like on eBay? And then you have some problems, but it goes from 20% down to 7%. Yeah, but is it? But many people are not the are not the. It's not the collector who's frequently selling that collection. It's the it's the collector's uh, heirs that are selling the collection. Yeah, that is true. And they don't they don't necessarily care about it, um, and they they just want they just want a lump sum, and uh, sometimes the lump sum is the proper amount that they should have gotten, and sometimes they they um, they hurt themselves and they get much less than what they should have gotten. Well, if you go to a dealer and you have a $100,000 collection and you go to the dealer, you know, some stamp dealer, that dealer is has all sorts of limits on him. You know, he it may be uh, a dealer will generally give you kind of half of what it's worth. So, $50,000. I'll give you 50 grand. But the hitch is Wonder if they don't have fifty grand. Wonder if they only have twenty. They're going to offer you twenty. They're going to offer you all their money, but it's far less than if you uh, do some marketing research and figure out where to sell it. The other suggestion that I give to people who have who are uh, are the, are the collector is is that uh, um, they should appoint a philatelic executor for their stamp collection. Oh, totally agree. And then the second thing is is that they ought to insist that well, however it's sold, that they get three bids for it from competitive bid bidders who can actually pay cash for it. And uh, that way they'll get the most money for it. Yeah, but again, you're being limited to the size of the pocketbook of the person who you are bid or who you are bringing it to. And if you're bringing it to local stamp shops, or not even local, but national stamp shops. I mean, we, unless you, you shout out to Bobby Prager and Gary Posner, they have deep pockets. They give you a fair price. But that fair price, again, it's not going to be limited by their pocketbook, but it is going to be limited by how long they're going to have to carry the stamps. And so you may be looking, you know, maybe not 50% of catalog, but maybe 60 or 70 so, you know, it's kind of a trade-off. 20% uh, is going to go to an auction house. 40% is going to go to a dealer. But if you sell it yourself, you know, and you're selling it on eBay and it's doable, you know, maybe 93% go to you because eBay only charges about 7%. Yeah. Most of the people that I know that are selling their collections that weren't the collector don't have the expertise and don't have the know-how Look at all the stamps that get submitted to PSE that are uh, that are submitted for full the full cost and are terrible stamps. No, oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I just I just saw a 
damage win the war stamp with fa- facial scrapes that was submitted in a package <laughs> so they're paying they're paying uh, 10 bucks right 10 paying, bucks for nothing right yeah, well, uh, on the other side, you know, we do have our special for 596s. You know, you send a 596 in and uh, we'll expertise it for five bucks and send it back to you that you don't have one. <laughs> now, believe me, I wish you did because under the best circumstances, you're going to be paying 500 bucks for that cert. There had, though, in this craze, over 594s and 596s, I know that. A half a dozen 594s have been found, including yes. including a vertical pair that was sold in the last Seagull Rarity sale. Yep. And that was it was very nice, and it brought $30,000, so somebody got a nice profit on that search. Yep. Well, I got an uh, email today from a fellow in Austria who showed me a picture of a one-cent Franklin, and he said it cataloged between 75000 and 225000 and wanted to know how much I would give him. <laughs> And actually, I have this stock response now, and uh, it's, I don't know how many people have seen it. It's, a lot of people have. It's like really popular on number of hits on uh, YouTube, but we put up a YouTube on how to identify a 594 and a 596. And it has, we're coming up on 50,000 views, and it's been out for, I think, three months, four months, something like that. Anyway, really, a lot of people are looking at it. And so uh, my stock response is, watch this video. If at the end of watching the video you still think you have one, then email me. And uh, one person out of dozens, one person said, I watched the video. I still think I have one. And I said, send her on it. So if he actually has one, then that's really, really good. I'll be very happy to see one being found. I don't think a 596 has been found in, what, 10 years at least? At least. No, I was going to say there was one. There was one found in, I think, 06 or 07 out of the Midwest. Oh, okay. And that one I wasn't aware of. And it, it was one that had a wavy line cancel. It didn't have the Kansas City pre-cancel. Oh. And it was... Um, I don't know. It was a new find, and it was um, it was sold in a seagull sale. I was unaware of that because I was going to say one has not been found in this century, you know, <laughs> over the last twenty one years. And uh, if one was found, that's honestly kind of surprising. So at auction, when you're at a live auction or major auction, um, does the strategy is the strategy different? Then, if you're just at a regular stamp club auction, obviously, in a in a big auction house, they're going to have the book, meaning that they're, they're going to have people that have submitted bids by mail or by phone, um, where uh, your your bid has to um, exceed what the auctioneer has already received um, by mail. Plus, the increments are far different. Right, stamp auctions all have fixed increments that they print on the you know, on their terms of sale about. For instance, a lot that might, uh, for instance, an average increment would be up to $50. Increment might be a dollar, and then $2.50 from $50 to $200, and then $5 from $200 to $500, et cetera. Um, the strategies that you can use is that um, there are professional auction agents 
that you can give the bid to who will execute the bid and uh, um, you won't be identified as the bidder. That's one thing that's, that may or may not be important. Um, in the old days, a lot of people would actually attend auctions, but in, uh, in, our current, in, in our current times, there's only, a lot of times, there's only three or four people on the floor. Yep. Now, when you're on the floor bidding, is your, is your bid, does it take precedent? Obviously, it won't take precedent over what's on the book. So if you're bidding $1,000 and, and, and he's already got, the auctioneer has $1,000 on the book, that 1000 takes precedence over yours. But what if an auction agent is bidding against you and you're both at 1000 Does the agent get a priority over other bidders on the floor? It's, it, the, uh, that's the, um, the person who gets priority is the, is the person that, that's recognized first by the auctioneer by the public auctioneer that's the person right there that's running the auction and most of the time he'll recognize the agent first ah yeah you are absolutely correct so there is benefit you know rank has its privilege but there are things you can do with an auction agent like if um let's say you wanted to bid on this thousand dollar thing but you really wanted it you might give him a much larger bid than the thousand dollars, because and you might just, or you might say, would you break a tire? Would you bid up to like twenty percent or thirty percent more than my original bid? Because I really want it. Um, that's where talking with the client is really important, because you find out what he or she wants. Um, uh, some of the other, some of the other strategies are uh, um, simply to put. You might be able to put a. You can put your own bid on the book. And so you can request from the auction house before it opens up, am I, is, my, is my, the written book I gave you on the book, is it high? And I'll usually tell you that it is or not. Well, the problem there is, especially if you're dealing with a lesser auction house. Now, Kelleher doesn't do this, H.R. Harmer doesn't do this, but there's a lot. If you put in a $150 bid, they'll enter it as 150 bucks. There, you know, the second bid is $50, yours should be 51 but they put down 150. Most of the big auction houses now are pretty straight about that. Yes, that, but if it's a tiny, I can't talk about any of the internet auctions because I don't really. Oh no, no, no! I'm talking about a couple of the auctions that you know people would consider large auctions. But you know, it, and that's why you have to know the auction, like you know, Kelleher and Siegel. I always, you know, I refer to them, Kelleher and Siegel, and neither one of them have given me anything yet. I mean, come on, guys, we're advertising yet. Throw, throw some coinage over this way. We have <laughs> to buy new phone. microphones and stuff. Yeah. Well, well, the best auction house, since we're talking, since we're going to make a, a pitch, the best auction house in the, in the Western U.S. is Rumsey, without a doubt. Yeah, I would agree. With, without a doubt. He is, the, he is super straight, and he's straight both as a consigner and as a purchaser. And when he has his auction, and this is something you have to know, um, he do, hotels, when you rent rooms, will give you food. So they may charge you $2,000 for the room, or they'll charge you $2,000 for food and give you the room for free. Rumsey does this, so he, it, it actually costs him like 15% more because you have to pay a tip. So for two, two th for $2,000, you get a room. For 2300 you get food and the room. So he will feed everybody, and he has great food. 
So if you are at Westpac and Rumsey is having their auction and you see a bunch of food in there, go in, say hi. They'll say, go ahead, take whatever you want. He has great food. And he has fed me several times. So I guess he sort of paid for this advertising with past meals. <laughs> <laughs> so at a live auction, if you're a first-time bidder at a live auction and you want to bid on a stamp and you want to bid a thousand dollars and he's got a thousand dollars on the book and uh the next increment is fifty dollars um can you uh do what i've seen on some of these auctions where you hold up your hand with a with a chopping motion to try and bid a half increment yes you can do that and uh there you um it's possible to be done both uh, both live and it's also you can do it on the tele you can bid on the telephone and uh, with some auctions, for instance, that, are, that work with Stamp Auction Network, there's a way to do it, too. Hmm. So even though uh, the published increment is $50, you can still get it for yes, $1,025? But, yes, but that's considered your last bid. Yeah. You're from, that, from that point on, if it goes higher, your next bid will not be recognized. Ah. So it's a one-shot deal. And usually it's not like $50. It's like 100 bucks, and they'll, they'll ask for the split. Mm-hmm. Well, at the at the gross postal history sale in 2019, I got bought one lot for exactly the split. No. <laughs> well, I, I was just it yeah. was it was it reached. I said, well, I, I'll pay the split, and it, that, that was enough. You just can never tell. Yeah. So it's auctioneer's discretion then. Um, not not as far as the split. It's the split is based on based on your allowed. If you're making the split bid, it's understood you won't bid any more on that lot. Mm-hmm. So the next bid person can bid one more increment and then one more you, half increment half, and get in, yeah, and uh, if you raise your hand again, they go no 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 that's not that's not how the rules work. Right, you'd have to go the whole yeah the whole increment. It's like it's like warfare, you know. There's there's rules. You can't just shoot the person. Right. Um, nowadays, I know people sometimes bid three different ways on the same auction. They have bids on the book. They have an agent, and they're also on the telephone or on the on the, the internet, and they're they're so they might buy things under three different numbers or three different bidder numbers. Well, I it is my opinion that auction network will eventually do away with the auction agent because the auction agent makes money off their big buyers. The small buyers pay their fees, their airfare, stuff like that, because you got to get to the auction. And you're losing those people to Stamp Auction Network. Now, the benefit of it is, you know, your auction, and we were, what auction were we watching the other day? And they were doing 98 lots an hour, which is like one third of what they should have been doing. Oh, uh, Bennett was was a really slow auction. Really I, super I, it slow. It was auction. like ninety an hour. Ninety. So you know your auction, your item, you don't know when it's going to come up. You know it's estimated to be up at three thirty. So you know you get on at three o'clock, and you find out you have two hours to go. You know a lot of that really does happen because as great as auction network is, and as great as the internet is, it has dramatically slowed down auctions. Because before, it would be you're pointing to the person, and you zip through really quick, and uh, if your hand's not up, you're not bidding. On the Internet, it's like, oh, okay, $200 on the floor. Wait, 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 wait. Clicks up on your screen, $250. Then $300 on the floor. 
wait, 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 and then it clicks up on the screen. It dramatically is having an impact, so I can see that that is entering into it. But otherwise, if you're going to sit there for the auction on Stamp Auction Network, yeah, I, you know, Chuck is a really good, nice guy and everything, Chuck Shukala, but uh, he's got some stiff competition. He's bidding mostly on the telephone like he was at Harmer Show. Hmm. You oh, were, yeah. you, were re- you actually represented him yeah. during yeah. The, and the last day. Yep. You, were, you had the phone to your ear. Mm-hmm. So I was basically a, a stand-in for the uh, agent. Yeah. Very interesting. Yeah, technology is going to make a lot of changes, and especially with COVID, a lot of the auction houses have been forced to go online, where yeah. in the past they didn't. They say, well, we don't have to do this. Yeah, now and, they have and to. And you can infer the, the, the uh, bidder's intention online because you don't see them. You don't, there's no, uh, the, the, the communication is only one direction. Yeah. yeah. So, um, you know, perhaps if, um, if online auction went to more of a Zoom feature where you actually saw the person's face, you know, as they're as they're bidding, that might change. But I doubt that that would be acceptable. Yeah, I don't think that would ever. Yeah, because people that bid online want to hide their identity. Yeah, it's not that they want to hide their identity. They they want to hide that they're buying really super expensive stuff. Right. Uh, but I did notice. I I believe I saw an advertisement from Stamp Auction Network that um, that basically in in the um, in the direction of. Uh, that they will be your auction agent electronically. Yes. Where you can put a higher bid in, and it will be invisible to the auctioneer. They almost have to do that because, um, like I said, it, I used to go to HR Armor Auction when they were here in uh, when they were in Southern California, and I lived in Southern California. I would go to every single one of their sales, and you could pretty well guess when the auction lots are coming up. When they started getting online auctions, it just destroyed your ability to estimate when an item was going to come up. And it's never early. It's, you're never going to walk in and say, ah, oh, damn, I missed it. You're going to walk in and say, that lot, we went to lunch <laughs> and because we're going so slow. And, you know, that lot that was going to be up at like 11 o'clock in the morning is actually going to be up at 5 o'clock in the evening. <laughs> I've had more than one customer that I've been bidding for at an auction where I'll be on the phone with the customer, and they get offended because of the time that they're waiting for the internet to respond. <laughs> in fact, in fact, yes. there was a lot. There yes. was a lot in January which my client stopped at a certain level, even though he really wanted it, and I, um, I don't know. I didn't know what to tell him other than this is how the and he, He's been around a long time and is very experienced, but just doesn't like that. And every, you know, the auctioneer will always say, if you're on, if you're on the phone, on the internet, it really doesn't matter. They say, please put in your bid. We're not going to bid you up. Do it. It speeds up the auction. Yeah, one thing that and could, it does, but yeah, one don't. thing that could speed it up is because uh, right now Stamp Auction Network has a feature where if you've reached your high bid, you can uh, click a pass button, and that indicates to the auctioneer, okay, you're you're out of it. Yeah. Um. So and, and that and that is a good thing. And and I know uh, Rumsey 
uh, constantly is asking for that, uh, for their, his internet bidders. And if you're done bidding, please hit the pass button. Uh, it may be that a stamp auction network starts to invoke a time limit, uh, like a sort of a, a basketball shot clock, that kind of thing, um, where uh, where if if you don't um, you know click a bid, that it will automatically pass you yeah. after a few seconds. That uh, that could speed up the live auctions. Well, the harsh part is though, e- even if you let's say that pass button goes off after five seconds, which it never would be that short, mm-hmm. but let's make pretend it's five seconds. That's five seconds on like every single bid, the thousands of bids that are put on. You know, you're talking about hours. You're not talking about saving minutes. You're talking about saving hours. Right. Well, there will always be a place, despite what you say, there will always be a place for auction agents because when you actually look at the item before the sale and actually ascertain the real condition, it... it um, that was what I was going to bring up next. That's a real it, That's a real issue. I mean, I can't begin to tell you how many lots that might have had X number of certificates and all that, and I look at it and I examine the item and I just say, it's not as described. Yep. And yeah, that is one of the biggies. You, you can request free of charge. You request, uh, can you take a look at that item? Because, you know, the photograph looks fantastic, but can you take a look at it? And the person takes a look at it, and they're always experts. You know, Albert is one of the leading experts in the country. And, you know, he looks at these items and he says, you know, I don't, I would advise against it. And people go, oh, well, if, if you're going to advise against it, I'm going to not bid on this. Every once in a while, you it's the other way around. You actually see something and they've made a mistake. Oh, yeah. Uh, but, uh, or, it, or it might be the first lot in the sale. And so you had talked about it with your client, but he wasn't necessarily going to pull the trigger. And then it opens for a third of what it should have brought. And then you buy it. Well, everybody who has found a number 482A, very expensive two-cent Washington, raise their hand. Albert. Albert. I, I don't know anybody Albert, like that. Albert. <laughs> Albert. <laughs> well, we, we saw a cover today, which I think illustrates the, the, the point. The cover was a it was a beautiful cover. It um, had a steamship cancel. It was a great-looking great cover. But the stamp had a crease, which you did not notice at all unless you were looking at it through a loop. But would it matter uh, for somebody who you know is collecting uh, you know stamps with steamship uh, cancels? So by uh, by having an agent uh, look at it you know ahead of time, you know you're armed with more information where you can say, yeah, it's a great looking cover, but be advised, it's got this crease. One problem that happened in in the fall on the late fall sales from November and December is that all the states that have auction companies they weren't allowing people to travel yeah. because of yeah. the COVID. So I could not attend sales in New York or in California. And and I, I was in Chicago when they, they locked Chicago down um, uh, during the, 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 the October end of October Rasdale sale. As a matter of fact, next week on the podcast, we're going to have Ron Dorr. And he's a show promoter in Southern California. And he's going to give us all sorts of the inside look at putting on a stamp show in California during COVID. And so that should be interesting. Hopefully it'll be interesting. He, he was going to be here today, but uh, he had a business appointment that he couldn't get out of. 
I'd say that for anybody who's buying an auction, the number one thing that they can do is if they can actually reach the auction is to spend a couple of days and look at the lots they're going to bid on. They'll be much happier with what they're, what they're getting, and they'll see if that, that stamp or that cover is what they really want. And uh, uh, the other thing is, is that sometimes if you have a large collection, it might sell better as an entire collection um, in an auction than it will as single lots. That's true. Would you suggest going to, I guess you'd call them practice auctions before you get serious about bidding? Or would you say oh, I think bid right from your straight auction? Your stamp, your stamp club auction is a practice auction. Absolutely. You can also go to Stamp Auction Network and actually see the auction. You log on, you can actually see the auction going on. And they'll have, they'll actually, they'll, each lot will be pictured and will you'll actually see how the sequence goes. And that's that's also good practice yeah. to look. Yeah, most of them will have audio as well. Right. So you can hear the, hear the action. We need your help. Nothing on the internet is free, including our phone and internet connections. So you can support the podcast by joining the Stamp Show Here Today Club. The cost is $10 for a lifetime membership. Please include your APS member number as we are an APS-affiliated club. Your support is greatly appreciated. Our brand new spanking address is 5965 Harrison Drive, Suite 6 in Las Vegas, Nevada, 89120. You left out the word glorious. Fabulous. <laughs> because you don't put that on the letter. Oh. Well, you could. You could, yeah. You could, yeah. Well, kids, that's all the time we have for today. I'd like to thank Sideshow Mel, Corporal Punishment, Tina Ballerina, oh, and from Not Landing, Miss Donna Mills. Oh, she was a sport. We've had lots and lots and lots and lots and lots of fun. But now the time has come to go. If this silkcom was found dead in his bed tomorrow, I'd be in heaven still doing this show. See you some other time! You have been listening to Stamp Show here today, seeking to advance all levels of the stamp collecting hobby through news, information, and collecting advice. Visit us at stampshowheretoday.com to listen to the show, view images of the items we are talking about, and read the show notes. You can also continue the conversation on Facebook at Stamp Show Here Today and on Twitter at Stamp Show HT. If you have questions or comments about the show or have any topics you would like us to discuss, you can email us at stampshowheretoday at gmail.com. Thanks for listening, and as always, keep collecting. Stamp collecting happens when we dream together.